World's Finest Podcast, Episode 22. James Doe, and with me as always is Michael David Sims. Hello. How are you, sir? Burnt out. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I have to say, at least I'm doing better than I was during, you know, December and January. <laughs> yes, you have your laptop back. Finally. Good yeah. lord. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, took, go ahead. Oh, it, yeah, it took them only mm, three and a half weeks to get it back to me. Because the uh, motherboard was a was a defect, and the the thermal pad needed replacing too for some reason. So, but it's working a lot better. So I have to. I'm I'm just glad to have it back. I don't. I'm not. I was gonna send send their corporate office a really nasty note, but you know, it, I just don't care at this point. I'm just, just glad to have it back. Yeah. Did you hear about that woman who's suing Best Buy for over fifty million dollars for being in basically the same predicament as you? Um, no. Except her predicament's a little worse, actually, now that I think about it. She brought in her computer to have some work done, and she had a service plan. Um, so they were going to, you know, of course, do the work for free because she bought the plan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some time goes by, and she hasn't gotten her computer back, and more time and more time, and they're just blowing her off. They're like, oh, it's still being worked on, it's still being worked on. This goes on for six months Best Buy finally says, we lost your laptop or computer, whatever. I don't know if it was a desktop or a laptop, but whatever. We lost your computer. So she's pissed off. And they're like, well, we'll give you, we'll reimburse you for $900 in a gift card to the store. But her computer cost 1100 So she's not even getting the full amount back. She's like, I'm not taking this. And someone, like one of her friends tells her that, because they don't know where her computer is, because Best Buy lost it, there's uh, uh, the potential for uh, her identity to be stolen. Exactly. So she might want to consider a lawsuit. Um, so she goes back and forth with Best Buy a little more. She doesn't jump straight into the lawsuit. And they're all like, well, we'll give you $2,100. And she's like, no, I just want my computer and more specifically just my hard drive, you know? And you know, they're like, well, what about like $4,100? And she's like, forget this. You guys are just screwing me over here. So she's, she's put in this lawsuit for, I think like $56 million. And she knows she's not going to win. She has flat out said it, but she wants to teach them a lesson that you can't lose someone's computer and risk personal information getting out like that. Who knows where her computer is? Really? I could have her computer. In all seriousness, I could have it. My neighbor could have it. The the guy down the street could have it. Nobody, who knows where it is? So yeah. I hope she gets a little something out of it. You know, I'm not talking like a million. I'm talking, you know, I don't know, a couple something of grand, fair comp- you know, compensation, 10, I guess. Right, ten fifteen grand, sort of teach Best Buy a little lesson, sort of like a little slap on the wrist here, because that's ridiculous to lose someone's computer. That's bullshit. I think. Shoot, I thought I had it. I had a bad one. Uh, I, I failed an English test <laughs> by not having my computer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can't believe. Speaking of which, I cannot believe I'm taking three classes in 
in school right now. I'm taking an English class, a Spanish class, and a statistics class. I have a higher grade in my statistics and Spanish classes than I do in my English class, which is my major. <laughs> and it's not even close either because I bombed this test. Mm-hmm. I'm getting the, I'm getting the grade for it tomorrow, but I don't really want to see it. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, <laughs> it, it hurts my heart because I'm a freaking writer. How can I fail an English test? <laughs> it happens. You know, it happens. <laughs> it was a hard test, though, I have to say. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, any Smash Brothers news? I mean, we've spoken about them in the past. I figure it's fair to bring it up again. Is The game isn't out in America yet, is it? No, it comes out. They had to delay it about three weeks ago in a, mm-hmm. the American release, or the North American release. Um, and it's coming out March 9th, which is uh, a su- Sunday. Mm-hmm. But uh, they've confirmed, if you check online, you can you can pretty much confirm that Almost everybody from the last game, every character from the last game has been included, uh, save for maybe three or four. Um, but it's looking really, really good. There's, they've been playing it online, and they haven't uh, noticed any lag or anything like that. So, I've it's heard. Uh, good. I've heard. And I think I might have heard this from you, as a matter of fact. So, you know, sorry if I'm repeating something you already know. But uh, Pit is supposedly ridiculously unbalanced. Yeah. <laughs> For, for our can, listeners who don't know who Pitt is, why don't you tell them? Uh, Pitt a lot is of the, don't know who he is. He's the main character from the classic NES game, Kid Icarus. Damn straight. And, uh, yeah, apparently in the game, you know, because he can fly, and he's got wings, so he can fly. And apparently in this game, you know, in Smash Brothers, the object is to knock people off of the arena or out of the arena, you know, just some way of knocking them out of the, re- the arena. You don't KO them, per se. And uh, Pitt can just basically fly from the very bottom corner of the screen all the way back to the arena, almost no matter where he is on the screen, which is just flat-out absurd. So, um, But then they've also Marth, who... Anybody who played Smash Brothers Melee for the GameCube knows that Marth was just absolutely stupidly good in that game. They've made him even better. So most people are, are getting to the point where they're just going to call him a broken character. He's just too damn good. What's What makes him so damn good? Um, I can't remember exactly, but I've been reading uh, on the um, Anime Weekend Atlanta forums that I frequent. People are talking about it there on the oratories, and people are talking about it. Um, and like I said, I don't remember exactly what it was, but uh, I will go check that, and I'll you know I'll post it on the Earth Two forums because I I generally I try to update that our our Smash Brothers topic on there pretty frequently, but I don't always get to. But I'll, I'm going to update it on there. Okay. So uh, just look for that, and I'll I'll detail everything that was wrong that's wrong with it. <laughs> but <laughs> overall, I'm I'm really looking forward to the game because once I get that, then my Xbox is gonna collect some dust for a little while. Yeah, if there's not an episode of World's Finest podcast for I don't know six months, <laughs> no one to blame. You know, or if all of a sudden I have a new co-host. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not going to get rid of me that easily. Okay, okay, okay. That's that's good to know. I don't want to have to recast the show. That would just be a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, and I'd, I'd, I'd start to miss it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mentioned this over at the Earth 2 forums earlier today, or by the time this gets posted, it would have been actually yesterday. But, James, you were 100% correct in what you said about uh, Anne Heche's voice for Lois Lane and Superman Doomsday. 
uh, that she speaks way, 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 way too fast? Yeah. I only saw about maybe the first five, six, seven minutes of the movie. Um, and in her introductory scene, she's, as you know, James, she's sitting here yelling at Perry, like, oh, how dare you shit can this story? I've been working on it forever. But of course, she says it without taking a breath and, you know, and without putting spaces between the words, basically. It's, it's like she just read it as one long word. But the thing is, she's inconsistent with it. There's, I noticed there were several times where she's like speed talking, and then all of a sudden she's like, Lex, in- Luthor, yeah. Perry, white <laughs> bill it's like what were they doing it's like were they dropping in like these clips from other bits of dialogue that, that you know what i mean yeah. it was it was uh, it was either edited really poorly or she just has no idea how to be a voice actress well it's like i yeah that's probably that could be it because a lot of actors who do live action movies just don't know how to voice act mm-hmm. but the thing is when the animators uh, animated over her voice that it was per- perfectly lip synced. So they just left it there. They didn't tell her to slow down or anything. And it makes me wonder if the people who did the animating got some kind of horrible arthritis or carpal tunnel syndrome while animating her <laughs> or, or uh, her words. Yeah. I mean, I, there were a couple of points and just what, I mean, that, that whole scene with Perry is maybe a minute, minute and a half long. Okay. But there were a couple of points throughout that whole thing where I was like, wait, what did she just say? Exactly. I wanted to rewind, or rewind, but yeah, I guess rewind, the the, the film to be like, I want to hear what she just said. I have no clue. I was so confused, but I'm like, I knew I wasn't going to watch the whole thing. I didn't have time to watch the whole thing. Basically, what it was is I just joined Netflix, Mm -hmm. and Netflix, they have that, you know, the thing where you can just, where you can watch movies right there. And, uh, you know, where you don't have to have them sent to you. You can watch them on your computer. And Superman Doomsday was one of them. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to try this feature out with this. So I'm like, I'll watch the first couple of minutes. And I was like, after the lowest scene, I was like, I wanted to turn it off. I I, I, I mean, I kept going up until the point where they were in the uh, Fortress of Solitude and she's all in a robe all naked in front of Superman. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is just really weird. I got to turn this off now. I mean, not only is the voice acting on her part, piss poor but this just got really kind of creepy <laughs> believe like me it, get, it gets like, worse like she's sleeping with a guy whose name she doesn't even know if you think about it she doesn't know him as yeah Clark. she doesn't know him as kale she knows him as superman she knows him as a code name that's like weird <laughs> i'm stopping this and i'm gonna jump in the shower and go to work you know <laughs> but i still want to see the rest of it i really do uh, uh, you need to because there's plenty of other things that are worse than her her uh, voice acting. You want to get to some emails? Yeah, let's do that. Um, let's see. Our first one today is from Robert, who writes, "Hello, guys. First off, I heart your show to the max. I grew up on the DCAU, and it's great to listen to the thoughts of two outstanding gentlemen who love it as much as I do. Dare I say, even more than I do." Hmm. I find it a shame that quality programming like this has been replaced in favor of the shallow, substandard crap most networks are putting out, save for a few shows like Avatar The Last Airbender, but that's beside the point. Is Avatar really that good? I've only seen a couple episodes, so I couldn't tell you. Did you uh, like what you saw? Yeah, it was all right. Oh, okay. I mean, I I think I probably would have liked it better if I would known, like, what, what the hell it's about. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'll probably check it out at some point, though, when I have time. Anyway, he goes on to say, I don't know if this has been brought up before, but if you think about it, the Justice League era bat embargo is actually a good thing in terms of DCAU chronology. 
The Joker's last appearance in the DCAU is Wild Cards, where the Joker, after giving Batman a brutal beating, is rendered catatonic by Ace's powers. Assuming he eventually recovers his sanity, the Joker likely would want revenge on those responsible for ruining his greatest joke to date. There's no way he'd go after Ace, so Batman's the man to break. This time, however, the Joker plays his dirtiest trick yet and decides to back uh, to get back at the Bat via Robin. The events of Return of the Joker's flashback occur, and Joker dies, explaining why he makes no appearances in JLU. Well, that's my two cents in, and that's really a very good theory, I have to say, because... But the thing is here, um, and it's not really a problem with his theory, it's just that we don't know exactly when the events of, ret- of the flashback and Return of the Joker take place right. in terms of the DCAU chronology. But it does, like his, his explanation makes perfect sense, though. And I, I'm surprised I hadn't thought of that before, but that really it really makes me think about it. And I'd like to be able – it's kind of like the whole Teen Titans debate. It's like, when does it happen? Well, it's, it's kind of like – that might become my new crusade is trying to figure out when the, when the hell it was that the Joker uh, kidnapped Tim Drake and all that other nonsense. Anyway, he goes on to say, again, love your show. Great work. Keep it up. Thank you. I'm looking forward to your reviews of Superman the Animated Series, especially the late Mr. Kent, Great <laughs> Metropolis, and, though it's a long way off, Apocalypse Now. Yes. I will say... Um, Oh, thank you for writing us, Robert, yep. by the way. Um, the late Mr. Kent has my absolute favorite Superman the Animated Series moment mm-hmm. of any episode. And you you probably know what it is. I know Mike knows what it is. Oh, but, yeah. But uh, if you don't know what it is, you'll find out whenever we, uh, whenever episode we get around to the late Mr. Kent. Okay, our next email is actually a kind of a two-part email. It's from Stuart, who's written us many times before. He writes, noting we were discussing crypto in the... Uh, our previous Superman episode, uh, we were wondering why Crypto didn't get put on the spaceship with uh, baby Kal-El. He wrote, a Crypto does appear in the Superman the Animated Series, but the twist is that it's the name of Bizarro's monster alien dog that he gets from the Fortress of Solitude, in case you really wanted to know. And um, in his second email here, he wrote... Oh, uh, he pulls a Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah, no! <laughs> no, I kid, I kid. Uh, he writes... Bud Court played Toy Man in Superman the Animated Series, and Corey Burton took over for him in the JL episode Hereafter, which is why the voice sounded different. Bud Court, however, voices him for all of his appearances in JLU. Appreciate that little tidbit there. Um, okay, our next email is from Dave Anderson, who is addressing – his uh, email here is addressing our thrashing of the episode Avatar from Batman the Animated Series – he writes, you guys are nuts. I've been catching up with World's Finest Podcast when I have a few minutes here and there. Your reviews, your, your, uh, your reviews are usually okay. However, the other night I, I listened to, or I watched the episode Avatar, then listened to your podcast where you reviewed this episode. I have two questions for you. Is the DC Animated Universe the only thing you've ever watched? Yes. <laughs> I guess. And did you actually watch this episode before you reviewed it, or did you try to remember it from 1993 when it first aired? That's correct. I have not seen this episode since 1993. <laughs> yeah, that exactly. Avatar was a tribute to Indi- the Indiana Jones movies from the globe-trotting adventure, complete with the plane ride sh- uh, shown with the red line on the map, to the supernatural showdown at the end. It was a great change of pace. You guys were wrong, 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 wrong in how you reviewed this. You first started out complaining how Batman never fights Superman supernatural forces. Raish is a supernatural force. He's been alive for 900 years. Well, not really. If that's not supernatural, then what is? Okay. Uh, 
Brady ain't nine hundred, but he's a couple of hundred. So well, yeah, he's a, he's about five hundred. But um, okay. Do you when, consider- I, when I was saying when I was saying supernatural, I meant stuff like magic users right. or you know some something with supernatural powers, stuff like that Egyptian thing that was in that tomb. Whatever that woman was supposed to be. I mean, I guess race borders on supernatural because of the extended life, because of the Lazarus pits. But right, that's it's not like he has any special powers because of it. Yeah, he's still a normal human being in in a loose sense of the word because he's one of the world's foremost martial artists and uh, of the intelligentsia. Right. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, Batman hadn't fought like the demon up to that point, or he really hadn't, you know, we hadn't seen Z- Zatanna yet or anything like that. That's what we were talking about when we meant supernatural. Okay. And he goes on when Raish goes into the sub basement or whatever, whatever he, fi- uh, wherever he finds the Egyptian goddess, doesn't that big swirling green pool remind you of something? Oh, say a Lazarus pit. I mean, they put the damn Lazarus pit in it, the source of, of, your revered racist powers, and you don't even recognize it. Did someone have to say, "Hey, look, it's a Lazarus pit for you guys to get that"? Do you have? Do you need to have everything explained to you? Sometimes, yes. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times we do. I took a bump on the head when I was a baby. <laughs> no, sadly, I'm not joking. <laughs> Obviously, this this lady Egyptian queen was not an actual goddess, but a mortal who found a Lazarus pit and used it, and learned how to use it differently than Raish. Also obvious is that Raish is trying to learn her secrets, how she has how she has learned to use the powers derived from the Lazarus Pit to control her people. Okay. Um, did they even but they, did they explain that in in any way? No, they the, never explain or in my opinion even hint that this is someone who found a Lazarus Pit and then wound up living in it for, you know, centuries upon centuries. Um, and I I don't think it's a Lazarus Pit. If you look at it, you know, okay, we've seen Lazarus pits before this episode, and they look just like green water, but this looked like green mud. It was very gloopy. It was, uh, at several points, doesn't it become, uh, doesn't she start, like, shooting it out at them? It looks like Slimer from yeah, Ghostbusters. Exactly. So it, I don't think it's a Lazarus pit. I just think it's some green goop. But maybe it's a Lazarus pit. I, I don't know. I just, I, I didn't think it was. Me neither. Okay. Um, the animation was fantastic in the episode. I loved when the queen turned into the mummified version of herself and everything went to hell. And you'll notice Batman didn't, quote-unquote, fight her, as you said. He threw a grenade, something he often carries, which and it should. did nothing. Which No, he shouldn't. And it did nothing, so he pushed the statue down and got the hell out of there. No one was stuck. No one stuck around to find out if the queen was dead. They left before she got out and started raising hell again. No one fought her, not even Batman. The episode brings up a question as to what the long-term effects of the Lazarus pits are, what other powers, what other powers are hidden within them, and what limits of those powers are. The queen was obviously bound to the pit, similarly uh, to how the power of the Holy Grail, another Indiana Jones reference, was limited to the confines of the temple in which it was stored. You guys really missed the mark on this episode. I hope as I continue to catch up on your reviews, you do a better job than this. <laughs> but we do appreciate the email. Oh, uh, very much we, so. So we, thank we you. Like, con- we like constructive feedback, and that was def- definitely outlined your thoughts. So I right, mean, now, we do appreciate it. Now, here's the thing I want to say about her being just some Egyptian woman who, you know, you know, was stuck in what was maybe a Lazarus pit. If you, you work under that assum- assumption – then that means Batman killed her. If she's not a true goddess, 
that means Batman just crushed her underneath thousands of pounds of, of rubble. Mm-hmm. So if he did it to like some goddess supernatural demony thing, then I have no problem with it. But if you say that it's some woman who's just been kind of trapped in this Lazarus pit, then I take issue with the fact that he just threw a grenade at her and toppled this whole building on her. I, I mean, maybe you could make the claim that the, she could continue to survive in the Lazarus pit because whatever injuries she suffered from what fell on top of her would cure her. But, uh, you know, you could also say that the Lazarus pit ends up getting shattered and the liquid goes everywhere and she's just laying there in a pool of nothing, just dirt and, and grime as the, 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 the ooze or liquid or whatever just washes away. So, if, like I said, Batman killed her if you assume she's just a normal woman. Mm-hmm. So, okay. oh, uh, One more thing I want to say about this. If it was a tribute to Indiana Jones... I don't think it was a good tribute to Indiana Jones. I don't think it was a good tribute to those old school Saturday serials that Indiana Jones was paying homage to. I just, I understand what this episode was trying to do. I just think it severely missed the mark in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Our next email is from Nick, who writes, Hello, Mike and James. We're finally on Superman the Animated Series. I rewatched the three parts last son of Krypton, so I'll give my thoughts. On part one, you pointed out some fashion blenders, or I guess you meant blunders, <laughs> specifically the council. Um, I prefer the ropes that they wore in Superman the movie, but I also prefer the clothing that Jor-El and Laura wore, uh, wear in the Krypton flashback in the season three Smallville episode, Memoria, where the clothing was red, yellow, and blue with diamond-shaped patterns. To me, that gives more meaning to Kal-El's outfit and also represents the House of El. The landscapes are secondary, and I will always love the crystal technology, not including the ice planet. Mike, on your problem with Joel looking too much like Kal-El irked you, uh, understandable, but it doesn't bother me. Like James says, he's as much of a hero as his son. The introduction to my favorite version of Brainiac, the AI of Krypton. To me, Corey Burton is the voice, and James Marsters is the physical form of the character. Mike, your gripe with uh, when and how did Brainiac become evil... uh, was explained in Smallville continuity. During uh, General Zod's global civil war, at the first incident, he corrupted Brainiac to carry out his will, but in the process caused the destruction of the planet. See, but that's the thing. You're mixing two different continuities. Yeah. You can't say, oh, because this is what happened over in Smallville, then this is what happened over in Superman the Animated Series. I mean... You can't do that. They're two completely different things. Apples and oranges. Exactly. Still have to get in some form, in some sort of form, either audiobook or on iTunes, The Last Days of Krypton by Kevin Anderson. Mike, in your rambling, you spouted out that Jor-El was going to go to Earth to free the Kryptonians. You're wrong. If you remember when the council uh, were leaving the chamber, he says an uninhabitable world. You're probably going to say that's what they were referring to and that Jor-El didn't study Earth enough. I don't think so. Um. Well, I don't know. I'd have to watch it again. So yeah, I, I can't remember him saying an uninhabitable world, but maybe he's right. Earth was mentioned a couple of times. Yeah, so by name. Maybe he did say uninhabited or un- uninhabited world at some point. I don't know. But I'll try to watch it again and comment in the next episode. Okay. Mike, I absolutely disagreed on your logic of why Laura didn't go with her son. If you remember the last uh, intimate scene Jor-El and Laura had, they argued, and after so many years that her husband was actually right, she owed it to him to stay by his side to the end. And, of course, let her baby go into space alone and land on a distant planet and possibly be raised by evil people to do evil things. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> to quote Elastic Girl from The Incredibles, I'm with you, better for better or worse. My favorite quote was Jor-El telling his father-in-law to shut up. That is good. That is a good line. On part two, I disagree with your thoughts on the animation. It looks solid to me, a few glitches, but nothing negative about it. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. The animation was terrible in that in that second part. Lex Luthor looked like he was, like, I don't know, three feet wide. <laughs> um, what I liked... What I liked, the uh, the added bonus to the mythos, having a meteor shower, but not so much of meteor freaks. In defense of the episode, the producers were using the storytelling of the Richard Donner fi- uh, film. But aside from uh, from then, Smallville should have gotten more screen time than, uh, than Metropolis at the very end. Exactly. That's what we were getting at. About the Kents, I always used... I, I was always used to them being older growing up, but thanks to Smallville, I've gotten used to them being younger, and in seasons five and six, gave them more active roles as state senators and not just farmers. Even though the dialogue was exposition, the voice of Kelly Schmidt and later on Joey Fisher always rekindles me on why Lana Lang is such an important character to, in the Superman mythos, not the, and pardon my language, the bitch, horse, slut, and now in season seven, the skank, played by Kristen Kroeke. <laughs> I'm glad there's other people out there who don't like the Lana Lang character from Smallville. I cannot stand that flipping character. Oh, I'll have to just go with you on that one because I've never seen an episode of Smallville. <laughs> never? Not even one? Not one. It has its moments. Hmm. And finally, on part three, you say that the Man of Steel's first act of heroism comes from a tabloid show. It was televised on Metropolis's Eyewitness News, basically with its leading reporter, Angela Chin. Uh, but it's reported like a tabloid show, though. Go mm-hmm. back and rewatch that. The way she's speaking, it's very much tabloid television of that era, of the 1990s. Mm-hmm. It's like Inside Edition or something like that. Exactly. Thank you. I couldn't think of the name of the show. Yeah. Yeah, Mike. The Lexo suits walking was basically Robo Dude strides the. Um, Ed 209. Ed 209. <laughs> My quintessential Lois Lanes are Margot Kidder, Dana Delaney, and Erica Durant. Erica Durant. Okay. Put the crack pipe down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, your comment about writing for Lois could get awful because of her stone-cold bitching attitude, but Kate Kate Bosworth definitely filled those shoes. The Brainiac ending is great, stabbing all the aliens to death, like how Milton Fine uses his uh, fingers into your head like the episode Persona. Mm. He's obviously more Smallville than me. Yep, uh, <laughs> certainly seen more than me. <laughs> well, thanks, Nick. Yes. Uh, okay, our next one is from Chris. Aloha, guys. Just my usual bag of thoughts on your latest opus. Jarrell was voiced by Christopher McDonald, who played Shooter McGavin in Happy Gilmore. Thank you. Yes. To add fuel to your complaints about the similarities between father and son, Mike, McDonald also voiced the 70 to 80-year-old Kal-El in Batman Beyond. Oh. Then again, I, I get mistaken for my dad on the phone sometimes, too. <laughs> one of the many inspirations... Uh, one of the one of the heavy inspirations for this three-parter was John Byrne's Man of Steel miniseries. He relaunched the Superman mythos after the crisis. Some of the Kryptonian designs, especially costumes, were his. He also made Jonathan and Martha younger and made Jonathan survive to quote-unquote present day, and they've usually been portrayed as finding Clark at around their early 30s. So being in their mid-60s in the comics, in Lois and Clark, and in the Ruby Spears Superman cartoon that was on CBS for 13 episodes in 1987. As far as I know, he he also added the prior relationship between Lex and Lois. It was over before uh, Clark arrived in Metropolis. Additionally, Superman's public debut, albeit before he had developed his costume, was catching a plane that was crashing to Earth. When they used uh, 
which they used in the comics as well. And I noticed that the catching the plane scene in Superman Returns seems to owe some visual, uh, owe some visually to the scene in The Last Son of Krypton. Not only, not the only time the movies have taken ideas from the DCAU. Appreciate it, Chris. Okay, let's see. Our next one's from Eric. Who writes, great start to the new series. First, I want to tell you Christopher McDonald. <laughs> there we go. Cool. Hey, awesome. So people are, are right and left correcting us. Yeah. No, <laughs> or or ver- correcting verifying you, us. Correcting you, because I said it was Shooter McGavin. Yeah, I, I was trying to say and or, and or verifying our, our claims. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, he comes back in the future episodes featuring Jor-El as uh, providing voice of the age Superman and Batman Beyond the Call. Uh, Brainiac has mentioned several times that he was made and programmed to get data from the from worlds, making him the most important part of the universe. That is his logic for why he destroys the worlds. Um, but who created him in the first place? Right. That's that's what, what I want to know. know. Is you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it'll come up. Maybe we're just not remembering it. So I don't yeah. want to bash them for you know. I don't want to say they didn't put that in there, and it turns out they actually did. So we'll hold off on criticizing that aspect of Brainiac for some time. Okay. Crypto is not in the DCAU. The puppy was an homage to Crypto. Is the Crypto cartoon on Cartoon Network part of the DCAU? No. no. I don't know, but it could be unofficial. No. No, it's, it's not part. Talk. It's it's definitely not. It's 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 basically a kids show anyway. Um the reason How for dare Earth... that make a kids show. Oh, oh, a cartoon that's for kids? Oh. Uh, God forbid, <laughs> I know, right? But like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know. I know. The young the younger younger audience. Mm-hmm. The reason for Earth being the destination is so Jor-El could have more time to search for the universe for livable planets. While on Earth, they will be protected by their powers until it's time to move to another planet. The question I have is, in a future episode, Professor Hamilton states that the Phantom Zone projector was found in the rocket. How could this be? Jor-El, at this, uh, at this point, hasn't been given permission to have such a device in his home. Good point. That uh, is a good point. And I remember the episode where the Phantom Zone projector comes into play, but I didn't remember... Him explaining that it was in the rocket. Um, yeah, I, I just watched part of that episode today. Um, I threw, uh, again, right before I started watching parts of Superman uh, Doomsday, I decided to throw in uh, one of the Superman DVDs into my computer because I was testing out some audio equipment on it, mm-hmm. uh, some audio recording. Because, you know, we play the quotes at the end. Yeah. I wanted to see if, if some new software I had downloaded would, would work as I needed it to. And one of the ones I chose to play was that episode where Hamilton finds the Phantom Zone projector in the rocket. He's he's found a compartment in the rocket that he didn't notice before, and he's trying to open it with a screwdriver. He's just, like, jamming a screwdriver into the crack of, like, this this priceless rocket. And he (laughs) pops open this panel, and out comes the Phantom Zone projector, and, of course, you know, trouble ensues from there. Okay, the gag where Lana asks Clark if he peeked in the girls' locker room was transferred over to the first season episode X-Ray from the TV series Smallville. When Clark first has an X-Ray vision, he sees the girls in their underwear in the locker room and is seen enjoying it and not looking away. Probably an homage. Uh, I just chalk it up to, you know, it's a 16-year-old boy with X-Ray vision. Yeah, because uh, I have to tell you, 99% of guys out there would do the same thing. Uh, in Lois and Clark, they're young when they find Clark in the spaceship, meaning Martha and Jonathan. But by the time Clark is Superman, they're in their 60s or 70s, it seems. Also, Lois and Lex in the first season get involved far enough to almost being married at the season one finale. And yes, uh, the Lexo suit is definitely homage to Ed 209. (laughs) Thank you, Eric. Okay, our next one is from Brian, who is asking us, when will we be 
podcasting the remaining Batman episodes, i.e. Gotham Knights and Mystery of the Batwoman? Um, we will get to... Uh, James, do we want to reveal that right now? Mm, I don't know. Uh, you mean our plan for... Yeah, I guess we can do it now. Yeah, why not? Okay, what's going to happen is, uh, in episode 27, that's going to be world's finest, when Batman crossed over with Superman. Damn right. Oh, yeah. What we're going to do from that point on, starting with episode 28, is review Gotham Knights concurrently with Superman the Animated Series. So sometimes you're going to get three episodes of Superman and two of Batman. Sometimes it's going to be three Batman to Superman. That's This is the only show where we're going to be doing it concurrently. The reason we're doing it is because these shows, they cross over from time to time. Robins and Superman, Superman, and, or Superman supporting cast is in Batman. So if we waited to do Gotham Knights, certain things wouldn't make sense because we'd see Robin and Superman before we actually see him in Batman. Um, as for the second part of his question, Mystery of the Batwoman, I believe that's going to be about episode 36. It's going to basically be um, the Superman-Batman version of uh, Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero, where we, mm -hmm. even though it was made way, way, way later on, we're going to take it back because of the animation style and the storytelling. Oh, Miss Lang. Oh, Miss Lang. Oh, Miss Lang. Come out and play. First up today is Fun and Games. In this episode, a gangster by the name of Bruno Mannheim, whom comic book uh, DC Comics fans will uh, know as the leader of Intergang in the Superman comics, uh, is running into repeated trouble from one toy man, a criminal who uses toys as weapons. And basically, we come to find out that Mannheim framed Toy Man's father, a toy maker. Uh, for embezzling money, uh, which was something that was going on about 10 years ago. And uh, Toy Man's father died before he could get parole. Um, so he wants he's basically trying to take out his revenge on Bruno Mannheim for making his father a patsy. And so Superman, you know, and it, eventually Toy Man kidnaps Lois Lane uh, because she prints some things that he didn't take kindly to in the daily planet yeah doesn't a shrink call him like a psychopath i mean not basically so many, i mean not in so many words right yeah basically yeah and a bunch of things that were completely incorrect it's basically toy man just wants revenge mm -hmm. uh so yeah uh that's that's about it what did you think about this one this one's creepy just because <laughs> the toy man is just creepy the way they played up toy man here he's almost a bat villain i know with the with the psychoses you know it's because Superman's villains, you know, they're normally guys like the Parasite, Lobo, Mongol, Darkseid, the strong guys who can really beat the shit out of them. Mm -hmm. But here we have a frail, frail little man in a mask who's just mentally tormented. And he provides a challenge for Superman. And like I said, it just it seems more like a bat villain, but it, it works. It still works for Superman. Mm -hmm. In this universe, um, I appreciated that that they kind of, you know, stepped away from the you know what can or who can Superman beat up thing, mm -hmm. and, and went towards who does Superman have to or who could challenge Superman mentally. Yep. 
because um, you know clearly Toy Man is a very smart individual. Mm-hmm. Um, but my question with him is, where does he get? All the materials to make these bullet, gigantic bulletproof weapons, like uh, that big fucking duck. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, um, Toy Man logic. <laughs> I get. Yeah, I guess that's our new logic. It's Toy Man logic. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean you're absolutely right. It's there's no way he would have been able to build all that stuff. You could claim he's had a decade to plan his revenge, but come on, really? No. No. Although I, I will say that we did get a really funny line there during that duck scene. It's it, it's a big ducky. Shoot it! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, and then yeah. There was I have a few gripes with this episode. They're kind of little things, but there's a there's just a f- quite a few of them. It's the first one is in the park where Mannheim is. Uh, you know, he's basically had this part commissioned for Metropolis, and he's he's another one of these guys like like Lex Luthor. He puts on a front for the public, but pretty much everybody knows that he's a gangster, but there's nothing that the police can do about it. Yeah, whereas uh, Luthor passes as a businessman, Mannheim yeah. is just a smarmy son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, he really is. He's a slimy piece of shit. He really is. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, that's okay. But um, in this scene... Uh, a bunch of toy airplanes fly out of nowhere and start blasting everything in sight, trying to uh, gun down Mannheim. Um, and during this, Lois, uh, Clark, and Jimmy are in the park, uh, you know, on Daily Planet duty. And, you know, the airplanes start shooting at Mannheim, and Clark tackles Mannheim to get him out of the way. Wouldn't that have, I don't know, broken several bones in his body? Well, okay, Shoot, because is, he is Superman. Is it fair to reference something that was said ten years later? Um, if you think of the very last episode of Justice League, remember what Superman says to Darkseid. Right. I, I feel like in a I'm in a cardboard, cardboard world. I have to pull my punches. I have to do this and that. So you can assume that when he tackled uh, Mannheim, when he went to save that man's life, he tackled him with the strength, maybe a little more strength than a normal human would have. He didn't crash into him with full Superman strength. Well, so, the, I'm sorry. I could I could buy that, except that you know, seconds later, he he's hiding behind a bench and he go, he's about to jump out again to try and save Manhunt's life, and Lois stops him and saying, "You want to get yourself killed?" Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if he's thinking very clearly there. Well. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. It's kind of ambiguous. You're right. When when he's coming out from behind the bench, he's not thinking because he's acting as Superman right there in front of everybody. And I like that because I hate when the hero is like, oh, my God, I have to save the day, but I have to protect my, my secret identity. Then you're not a hero. Give up your secret identity to save someone's life. That's my personal opinion. So I like the fact that they were having him about to blow everything to save someone. Um, even if it was someone like Mannheim. But at the same time, when he's tackling Mannheim, again, I, I really think you could just chalk it up to he's had these powers like his whole life, or at the very least, you know, since puberty. Okay? Mm-hmm. So he's had a lot of time to adjust to them. So he knows how to tackle a regular human when he's not trying to hurt them. When he is trying to hurt them, when he's trying to stop a criminal, he knows to use more force. When he's trying to save someone, he uses less force. And I think he's just going to do that instinctively. Yeah. I guess um, we'll just say that it would be like a uh, 
a running back or, or a linebacker tackling me. Right, yeah. He knows what amount of force to hit you with compared to what amount of force to hit someone who's his size with. Yeah. Right. What about you? Do you, um, do you have any gripes? Because I have a couple more, but I'll, I'll I'll bring them up later. Now, overall, I like this episode. I you know I don't think it's the best one of the bunch, but it's it's creepy. Mm-hmm. It's it's I thought it was a good breather between um, the last son of Krypton and the batch of episodes you know we're gonna get into here. Um, mm-hmm. because again, he's fighting someone that he can't punch in the face. Exactly. He can't lay a hand on Toy Man. Not at all. So I, I thought it was a really smart move on the producer's part to to go from this this epic introduction to this. Let's let's calm down, take a breather, show that Superman doesn't have to always punch someone in the chest, and then we're gonna go back up over here and we're gonna introduce Parasite and Metallo <laughs> and all this and that. So yeah, I, I appreciate that. Alright. Um but uh, before I uh, we say anything else, I meant to bring up, bring this up in that last the park scene. Again, one of my big gripes with with uh, just any you know any genre or media in general. How many freaking bullets do those little dinky airplanes have? <laughs> yeah, I know. Good lord, it was it was just ridiculous at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> There's, there's no way that those little, those little bitty airplanes could have held that many bullets. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't buy that at all. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess one of my gripes is later on when Lois is kidnapped and Toy Man's telling her his origin, mm-hmm. he's got a pop-up book. Now, interesting way to reveal someone's origin, but why would he make a pop-up book? Because he's Toy Man. I mean, that's what I'm <laughs> if saying. It's the... It fits the character. No, it fits the character, but at what point did he go, you know what? At some point when I'm going after Mannheim, I'm going to have to kidnap someone to tell them my backstory so they sympathize with me. And the best way to do this is in pop-up book form. No, you're not thinking about that. You're just thinking about kidnapping and killing Mannheim. Not about kidnapping someone else. Lois Lane was an afterthought to his plan. She, he had to do it. And he was probably going to let her live too. If, you know, after he killed man, Yeah, probably. So it was just one of those silly little things where it's like, I like the pop-up book, but at the same time, it's, it's utterly ridiculous to think <laughs> that he sat down to make a pop-up book to tell Lois Lane his freaking origin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if uh, he can make a gigantic bulletproof duck, I guess he can make a pop-up book. And, and speaking of that duck one more time, that had to be an homage to Batman Returns. Yeah, exactly. It had to be. I mean, no, no question. When I was watching that scene, I swear, I absolutely swear that the music very briefly became very Penguin-esque. You know how over in Batman, all the villains had their themes? Mm-hmm. I swear it was the Penguin theme or Penguin-ish for a couple of notes. Just as go, it's for the people who are paying attention, they could be like, oh, I get what they did there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, overall, I agree. This is a this is a pretty good episode. It's not great, but it's certainly uh, it's certainly good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my biggest question of this episode is at the very end: is why didn't Mannheim at least get questioned for that embezzling scheme? I mean, I know it's it's past it's got to be past the statute of limitations and all, but I mean, he did cause a guy to go to jail 
wrongfully and get and die in prison, basically. But prove it. Yeah. I mean, uh, Toy Man told Lois, and, you know, Superman and Jimmy figured it out, but really, if the police couldn't prove it all those years ago, are these guys going to be able to prove it? You see what I'm saying? You know? Yeah, I know. They don't know. It's been a decade, so. Right. I mean, I see where you're coming from, but <sighs> he's a smart guy. He's he's protected himself. So, what about you? Anything else? Um, oh, uh, you know, I take that back. One more thing I wanted to bring up. One thing I really liked is the Macbeth reference when he's uh, in the park with that bubble solution. <laughs> double, double, toil and trouble. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. I didn't note that because I probably figured you would bring it up. Um, one of my favorite parts about this episode is when Lois receives – like she opens up her door. There's a knock on her door, and she opens it up, and there's a present outside. And as she brings it in, she says, let it be flowers, please. And the reason I like that it's be, is because it shows that Lois has dealt with death threats and creepos throughout her entire professional career. Oh, yeah. Because someone who hasn't had something like this happen before wouldn't have said that. So I thought it was a great way to show this character's experiences without flashbacks or exposition. So... You know, it just it just shows smart writing, and we know oh, yeah. these writers are smart. We know the producers, you know, know how to tell a story and how to uh, develop their characters, and this was the perfect example of it. Superman might be new to town, but Lois is in no way, shape, or form new to Metropolis. Nope, not at all. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's nice to see um, subtlety like that, very smart subtlety. Mm -hmm. Another thing I liked is, you know, you, I like – this is going to sound weird. I like how the police cars look because if you remember the police cars from Batman, the animated series, they were very retro. They were very 40s. I mean oh, yeah. they were, you know, steel cars built in Detroit. I mean mm -hmm. that's, that's what they were. But the cars in Superman, they're a little more modern in design, not quite futuristic. Maybe in the 90s when this cartoon came out, they were slightly futuristic. I don't know. But I like the fact that, you know, Metropolis, the city of tomorrow, has these modern slash futuristic cars. But Gotham City, this very old, the city with this very old timey feel, is of course going to have these old timey police cars. So I don't know. I just, there's something about that that I like that I can't fully articulate. No, you see where I'm coming from? They're good foils to each other, but that you know, Metropolis and Gotham City are always foils to each other in, right. the, in the comics. So uh, it makes sense that they would take it over to the animated universe. Mm -hmm. And now, did you happen to draw any parallels between what happened to Superman at the end of this episode and what happened to Batman uh, the first time, or was it the second time? The second time he fought Clayface. Um, how do you mean? Okay, remember or... in this one... Uh, uh, Toy Man sends out that gloopy kind of Play-Doh-y stuff, and it like mm -hmm. gets all over Superman. Right. And he gets out of it by turning himself into a tornado and just shooting the shit everywhere. Yeah. Well, if you remember when Batman fought Clayface for the second time, Clayface, you know, sucked him into his body. What I like is the uh, contrast of how they each dealt with that situation. As I said, Superman you know, spun around until the shit went flying all over the place. So we see how he can use his brains 
um, as well as his brawn. Where Batman, when he was in a very similar situation, what did he do? He used straight up brawn, and he just blasted his way out of Clayface's <laughs> skull. You yeah. know, so I don't know if they were intending to draw a parallel between the two characters, but I picked it up whether it was supposed to be there or not. Um, and I, I dig this episode more for it. Again, whether it was intended or not, I, I think it was super cool. Yep. Uh, I didn't, like I said, I didn't catch that, but it makes sense now you bring it up. Right. And even better is that Superman doesn't even panic. At all. He knows exactly. Get back, Lois. Right. Lois, get back. And he just spins. He, you know, it isn't like he starts trying to pull it off of himself and he's like, oh my God, what am I going to do? He's just like, ah, get out of my way. We don't want this stuff on you. And hide. (laughs) You know, I mean, that was, again, I said it earlier, Superman may be new to town, but it shows he knows how to use his powers, which illustrates what I was saying earlier. Clark has had these powers for a very long time. He knows what to do in these kind of crazy situations mm-hmm. he may have never been covered in goop like this before but he knows how to get out of it because again he knows his powers he knows his limitations he knows exactly what to do <sighs> but uh what did you feel of the ending the true ending of this one uh where the they find the broken mask mm-hmm. that was cool because they take special care never to show us toy man's face um and, you know, with them think Bruno Mannheim thinking that he got, uh, you know, blown up in the explosion and everything. And it turns out, oh, hey, wait, he didn't. Yeah, I I was feeling this very read my lips kind of vibe mm-hmm. where Scarface turns the, the, the head over and he just boom, the stabs it with the scalpel. Yep. Oh, I was I was feeling the same thing. It's like, oh, man, that's so cool. Like, it's crazy. That had to be a parallel. Whether it was or wasn't, I don't know, but ooh, I, I thought that was the perfect way to end this episode because it says, look, this guy is definitely going to be back. He might be, you know, you might think he's just a stupid little geek walking down the street, but he really took it to Superman. He really did. Um, yeah. That ball in that warehouse that mm-hmm. never stops bouncing, like a perpetual motion machine, I guess. And it's just getting stronger and stronger, nice. too. Mm-hmm. I do like how Superman dispatched that, too. He just catches it and just crushes it. It was funny, because when he first goes into the warehouse, it hits him a couple yeah. times. Like, what? He's like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then he's like, and then he just kind of moves his head, just avoiding it, and then all of a sudden... Interesting. As soon as he gets near the rocks in that display case, he gets all wobbly and weak. So weak that he let a couple of small timers get away. And every one of those rocks belongs to me. Next up is a little piece of home. And in this one, um, some of that kryptonite that we saw going through the wormhole um, at the end of the first part of a little piece of, not a little piece of home, at the of uh, the last son of Krypton um, has made its way to Metropolis. More specifically, it's wound up in a museum that Luthor is opening. And what's happened, or what what happens here, is um, uh, Lois and Clark are outside the museum. They're they're covering this press event, and it makes me wonder why the Daily Planet would send its two top reporters to cover something as mundane as a museum opening. But hey, what you gonna do? So <laughs> while they're outside, Clark. Um, He's using his x-ray vision for some reason to look inside the museum, and he sees these two bumbling small-time crooks make their way in. 
So he excuses himself and he go, enters the museum as Superman uh, through the sewers, I believe, um, to try to stop these guys. But while he's stopping them, he he uh, uh, stands right in front of a meteorite exhibit. And one of these happens to be glowing green. He doesn't know what it is, doesn't think anything of it at first. And he collapses. He can he, he can't even stand up. He's he's so super sick and the criminals get away and Luthor's pissed because he's, you know, Superman has ruined this opening day celebration. But at the same time, Luthor realizes, hmm, what made Superman bungle this so much? And he watches the security footage and he sees Superman grows weak when he gets in front of those rocks. And Luthor now knows he has something to combat Superman. That, of course, being kryptonite. Does that summarize mm-hmm. this one good enough? Yes, it does. Cool. Thoughts? Um, it was okay. It, I think it could have been a lot better than it was, but um, overall, I think it was a good debut for the, you know, the the substance in the Superman animated universe. Or, um, I'll tell you what brings I, I, this one down for me, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. The dinosaur. <laughs> There's just no logic behind the dinosaur in the museum being a robot. Tell me where the logic in that is. Uh, I, mean, I don't know. It's a really cool fight scene, and the fact that Lois saves the day, you know, I love that. But really... <sighs> I think what my biggest gripe with this episode is all the time-wasting scenes. Oh, like what? There, um, that whole scene where the the guy with the, the rocket pack guys mm-hmm. shooting through the sky, that scene took way too long. Oh, you think it, so? Superman could have disarmed those guys in a matter of seconds, but it was like one thing after another happened. He got tied up in these ropes, and he got hit with a flamethrower or two. It was just it, – it should it was just – it took way too long. Hmm. And then, at, you know, at the end of that scene, when, when he finally – Stops the last guy who Luthor personally hired to lure him to the to the kryptonite rock. Uh, you know, he throws him off of a building into a into a small creek, which yeah. should have killed both of them at that point. Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just Superman should have been able to disarm all three of those guys well before he actually did. And another thing, I, a, a problem I have in that scene is Superman blowing up that fuel tank. On that guy's in that guy's arms, that should have killed the guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Period. <laughs> if if not if not that, he wouldn't have any arms yeah. or or a torso. Mm-hmm. It, just that whole scene just really irked me overall. You know, now that you outline it, I can see where you're coming from, but I don't know. I thought it was a cool scene. You know, Superman fighting three Rocketeers. I thought it was kind of cool. Maybe it went on a little too long, but. Well, it had and it had too many problems with it for my liking. Yeah, just yeah. I guess so. Maybe I overlooked it because I'm 99% sure that the leader of that gang was Biff, who, of course, you know, from Back to the Future, who played Tony, mm-hmm. the same guy who played Tony Zuko from the awesome Robin's Reckoning. So yes. maybe because he was in it, you know, he was the star of that scene. I was like, oh, okay, any flaws? Yeah, they well, they don't exist in my world. <laughs> well, there's another one at, at before you know the scene that opens it up where the the they're exchange on the rooftop where they're exchanging the uh, the bill mm-hmm. um, molds. Three of them fly down or uh, appear on the rooftop. They're they're outmanned 
outgunned, out everything, and the treasury agents just say, "Oh, well, we're do- we're doomed. We'll just throw our guns down." Yeah, <laughs> they they had them outmanned. Why are you throwing your guns down? What is wrong with you? How useless are you? <laughs> that I'll give you. You are you are right there. That that, nev- that whole scene never should have happened. <laughs> <laughs> Plot hole. <laughs> anyway. But I will say uh, th- something I like. Superman toying with idiots is always fun. You're talking like about in the, in the museum. The museum. Oh. I was just about to bring that up. That is such a fun scene. Just because he's thinking these guys are nobodies. They're bumbling fools. And they are. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, Superman's just having fun, you know, taking his time. And then his arrogance, you know, and I like this, his arrogance gets the best of him. If he would have wrapped up the case right away, he would have never got sick by the kryptonite, and Luthor would have never came, never would have realized what he had. It's mm-hmm. Superman's overconfidence that led Luthor to realize what he had. His and, greatest weakness. And you don't see that in Superman that often. You don't see his arrogance get the best of him, but here it happened, and I love it. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. That Superman caused the problem that he's now in. I mean, for the rest of his life, no matter how long that is, he has to be fearful of kryptonite because of this one moment, because he decided to have fun. He screwed up. Mm-hmm. Is Luthor has some, Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say Luthor has some fantastic lines in this episode, as he does in pretty much every episode. The best one though, is there shouldn't be an opinion in your, in your head that I haven't put there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, he, he owned this episode basically anyway, so. Um, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Was this the first appearance of Mercy? Yes, it was. So in her first appearance, she kills three people. Mm-hmm. You realize that? Yes, Luther I do. orders her to kill three people in this episode. I mean, she kills, uh, what are their names? Nito and Sam, the two mm-hmm. crooks, and then the scientist that's feeding uh, Lois the information about the, the kryptonite. Right. It's, well, make, make leave your mark, I guess. <laughs> I mean, they don't pull the punches at all. I mean, Luthor says, Nito and Sam, see that they're dealt with. And she just says, check. And then I don't think I wrote the line down. Let me see. Where Luthor says that I, 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 it's Metropolis. I'd hate for it to yes. wake up in the morning and hear that something happened to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and then... You know, Mercy, quote-unquote, takes him home. That's awesome. And then uh, Luthor flat-out threatens Superman. There's the one point where uh, Superman's like, you will never control me, Luthor. And Luthor's like, well then, I guess I'll have to kill you. Yeah, he doesn't beat around the bush. Oh, like, I mean, that is awesome dialogue. I can't own Mm -hmm. you? Okay, I'll kill you. Wow, (laughs) they, they just so nailed Lex Luthor. You know how for... An entire generation, and, you know, this This is true of us, Batman was defined by Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. For me, Lex Luthor was defined by Superman the Animated Series. Amen. No matter, you know, no matter, uh, uh, let's say in 20 years they do a true reboot of the Superman movie franchise, I'm still going to compare the Lex Luthor in that film to the Lex Luthor here. In the DCA. Yes, yep. exactly. This is my Lex Luthor, almost 
I'm not even going to say almost, more than Lex Luthor of the comic books. This is the perfect representation. Because not only is he the businessman Lex Luthor, he's the scientist Lex Luthor. They're taking both of his origins and they're putting them together. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's Tony Stark gone insane, basically. That's what it is. If Tony Stark, the businessman and the scientist, had had become evil, you'd have Lex Luthor. And, oh, it's just... It's 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 written well, but better yet, it's acted well. Oh, Clancy Brown just yes. takes that character and shoots him to the moon mm-hmm. in awesomeness. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, and now, as we're talking about this, um, I'm starting to like this episode a lot more. <laughs> I think I may have undergraded it, so, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, I thought the. Getting, getting back to that scene that I had so many gripes with earlier, the one thing about that scene that I I kind of dug was the jazz music playing behind it. Mm-hmm. That was kind of cool, I have to admit. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's not something you'd expect to hear in Superman the Animated Series. Batman, certainly, because it happened all the time. But, um, yeah, you never you don't really expect to see that, especially during a Superman action scene. You're, you're, you normally hear the big orchestral numbers with the, the trumpets and everything blaring you know <laughs> but it was yeah it was a nice little nice little change of pace there um another thing i liked about this episode uh was clark kent trying to stave off the effects of the radiation in the diner uh he you know if he gets really really sick next to that kryptonite then he's blown he's blown his cover as superman but he's like trying his damnedest to uh to stave off the effects of the kryptonite radiation that lois lane has uh happened upon so it was it was kind of cool. So I don't know. I I I okay. I I didn't look at it from that angle. I looked at it from the other angle that questions how smart, how good of a reporter Lois really is. You know, you have to assume that she saw Clark sometime before this cuz he's out for lunch, right? So she mm-hmm. saw him at the planet, right? So mm-hmm. then she visits him at the diner and he, all of a sudden, he's sick when she throws him the little piece of kryptonite. I mean, well, when, when and it, touches, burnt, it did burn his hand too. Right? Yeah. The second it touches his skin, he's like, ah. And she doesn't even think about what is happening here. I don't know. I mean, huh. uh, I don't know. I kind of call that the question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. But that's that's a Lois Lane problem there. Right. I was I was just mainly talking about Kent trying to act his way out of a, out of a major dilemma there. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. That's what I think is funny is you're looking at it from this other angle. You're looking at it from the Clark Kent perspective and I'm looking at it from the lowest. <laughs> I just thought that was funny that yeah. we each pinpointed that scene, but for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> this was also Emil Hamilton's debut. Yes, it um, is. Isn't it? We have mercy and Emil Hamilton debuting in the same episode. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as we'll find out, Emil Hamilton is a very, very, very important figure in this DCAU. Oh yeah. And um, there was there was something very important that happened in this episode. I don't know if you picked up on it. The uh, him getting the lead suit. No. Oh no, he didn't get the lead suit in this one. That was in the next episode. Right. Yeah. Hmm. No. Um, Lex Luthor smashes a computer that doesn't explode. Doesn't explode. <laughs> <laughs> that was my last note. <laughs> now, please allow me this, James. Please allow me this. Okay. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I went back and I watched the pop up commentary on this episode. Okay, because it doesn't have your standard audio commentary. It has a pop-up commentary. Mm-hmm. And on it, there were there were two pop-ups that I found 
interesting. One of them was completely random and just said dinosaurs are cool. But this, the other pop-up that I want to bring up, and really the last thing I want to say about this episode, is this. I'm going to read what was on screen verbatim. Okay? Here we go. Along with Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series established the new DC Animated Universe, which has expanded to include Batman Beyond, Justice League, and Teen Titans. Ha ha! Thank you. The <laughs> argument is over. It's over. Thank you. All right, we win. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're gonna. Oh man, I can't wait to hear the the email feedback from that one. Yeah, I know, I know. Oh, uh, victory is ours. <laughs> the last thing I'm gonna say about this episode is, I liked how the little details of this episode all came back full circle in the very end scene where, uh, in that you know the dinosaur is stupid and all, but the scene as a whole, I liked how it came around full circle. We have the the lead goblets, which were introduced in the very, in the very beginning of the episode, uh, we have Lois's little uh, his her basketball skills coming into play. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of it was kind of neat. And then you know we had every every single person that comes across Clark Kent says you don't look so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that must have happened like what seven or eight times. Stop I like it. I like recurring gags. I really dig recurring gags. So uh, I, I appreciated how all those little details came around to. Uh, basically save Superman and Lois's lives. Good to see you again, Superman. Or should I say Clark? That's right, Kent. I got your powers, I got your thoughts, and I got your secret. Our third episode up today is Feeding Time. In this episode, um, Rudy Jones, who's basically just your run-of-the-mill lowly janitor at Star Labs, um, is helping his uh, – not really his friend, but just a guy who's helping him pay pay off some bookies that he owes. And um, this guy is helping him uh, because Rudy is going to help him steal some radioactive waste from Star Labs. Um, well – Everything goes to hell. The security guards happen upon what they're doing, um, and they they get away. Rudy didn't, you know, he didn't want it, it wanted to come to that. He just wanted to get it over and done with quickly, with nobody seeing it. Um, and they drive away in this in this pickup truck, and with two of the canisters in the back of the truck, along with Rudy. Well, the guy driving it, uh, who the the uh, the guy who's paying off uh, Rudy's bookies, uh, starts speeding along. He hits a huge pothole or a rock in the road and the canisters spill all over Rudy in the back of the pickup truck which causes him to turn into this creature called the parasite who is a being who basically can feed off the life energies of others by touching them much in the same way that Rogue from the X-Men does he then decides from here on to go after Superman and hold him hostage basically as a never ending meal uh, while he goes and steals shit so that's about it thoughts um before we get into our thoughts i'm looking at the very first note i wrote down and you were right james the lead containment suit was introduced in the last episode what i wrote down was a uh, continuity from last up to this what with lead suit that's my note meaning uh now that i think about it we see the lead suit hanging in the background right at star labs but here is where he first puts it on so you were right we do see it before this episode here yeah um you know, 
I think I have a soft spot for this episode. I don't know if this episode's good or not, because I kind of like this one just because I kind of like Rudy. I kind of yeah, like I, Well, I, I feel the same way about, about this episode. I have a soft spot for it, too. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I can't figure out what to say. Why don't you read this okay, <laughs> okay, well, the first thing I have to say is um, when he gets doused with those chemicals... Oh. Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. that puts Matt Hagen to shame. Mm-hmm. Because when Rudy gets doused with all that crap, you can see his skin bubbling off and his teeth rotting away. Mm. Wowzers. Yeah, it's, it's very <laughs> much like the Toxic Avenger. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. that movie, James? Yeah, the trauma film. Yeah, I mean... Mm-hmm. I, We've discussed this in, the, in a, on a past episode. Oh, have we? Okay, pardon uh-huh. me. But yeah, I mean, what happens to the kid that would become Toxie isn't all that different than what happens to Rudy. Yeah. It's it's so disgusting. And I mean, it's ugh. It's a great visual, but oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Woo. I have some some gripes with this episode and one is pretty damn big in my opinion. It's after he becomes parasite. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why this guy who very obviously had a conscience and a moral sense of right and wrong, decides to just go around siphoning everyone's energy and stealing shit. Yeah. It's like those – because we know those chemicals didn't drive him insane like they would a, a Batman villain or somebody. He still speaks in fluent sentences and kind of – and just like kind of talk, chit-chats with people, even the guy who, who left him for dead in the ditch. And it's like – why didn't he become a superhero? Yeah, the transformation to villain happens way too quickly. It's it's one of those things where I'm not saying this one should have been a two-parter, but it shouldn't have been like, oh, I'm Rudy Jones, and then all of a sudden I'm the parasite because I've got power. I would have liked to have seen it happen over the course of the episode where he starts out as a good guy, he's trying to do good, but then he starts to lust for the power that he's absorbing. Maybe he accidentally absorbs Superman's power instead of doing it on purpose. Mm-hmm. And he wants more of that. And that is what corrupts him more than just, hey, all of a sudden I put on this really weird white costume, which comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And I'm some <laughs> super freakazoid villain. It's this one. Like I said, I have a soft spot for it, but this one could have been so much better if they would have explored what truly turned Rudy. Because I don't like the explanation of, oh, he just went insane. I don't like that. I, and, yeah, because he, he didn't no, go insane. No. My, I guess... One thing this is this it kind of relates to this episode. It kind of doesn't. Um, and this is for our listeners. If you've ever if you've never read uh, Justice, uh, the story, the one off story by Jim Kruger and uh, with Alex Ross's artwork. Mm-hmm. First off, go read it because it's great. Um, but secondly, uh, read the back of the of volume one of the of the uh, the trades. Um, there's a there's one of those little uh, bat from the t- you know facts from the Batcave or whatever it's called. Uh, where bat Batman just has his little computer notes from the Bat computer. Um, he has one for Parasite, and it's it was it's really a great little explanation, a little blurb. It says, um, "As long as Parasite is alive, Superman is the most dangerous person on the planet." Hmm. So I thought that was a really that, that's this episode just reminded me of that uh, that little note. So pick up that pick up that trade if you if you get a chance. Um, anyway, back to the episode. <laughs> um, uh, I like I said, like we were just saying, um, his his uh, transformation to villainy makes absolutely no sense. But at the same time, if 
if they hadn't done it the way they did, then we couldn't have had that really creepy and cool ending where he's sitting in the, uh, in the jail cell and he, uh, he's basically, his mind has been wiped and he absorbs the, he like touches the cockroach and kills it. Why do you think we couldn't have had the ending? Because, well, it's, I think it would have had, it would have been done just too quickly. There was, they wouldn't have been able to, I don't think they would have been able to do it in one episode, in one 22 minute episode. Maybe. I don't know. Just with the way, I don't know. I'd have to, I should have probably, should have written this note down a little better. (laughs) I probably could have explained it better, but I just don't think it could have, that we could have gotten that, that particular ending out of it. But maybe they could have, I don't know. That's just my own, my prediction or personal opinion. What did you feel about, Parasite being the very first supervillain to figure it out. That being the secret the, identity. The identity. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense because he, that's his power. He can mm-hmm. absorb their thoughts and their, and powers and memories and everything else. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it makes sense. I love that scene of Clark getting jumped. You know, he's, he's <laughs> taking off his shirt and we could see the S underneath because he's just mm-hmm. slowly getting undressed, getting ready for bed. Just, he's going to chill. And all of a sudden, he just gets jumped in his own apartment. The parasite just kicks the crap out of him. You know, normally, I don't buy Superman getting beaten up. You know, if it's Darkseid or some super alien, okay, that's fine. But, you know, something like, I, I don't know, some Earthborn hero or villain, I, I, like I said, I generally don't buy it. But with the parasite, I fully buy it. Especially when he has the element of surprise, as he did there. Yep. That was so awesome. And I, I like the fact that it wasn't, you know, Luthor or Metallo or one of Superman's really big villains that figured it out. It was the Parasite, someone who a lot of, you know, casual comic fans didn't even really know about this character until then. Mm-hmm. Um, it, when, when, uh, the scene after the, uh, uh, Rudy becomes Parasite and he jumps the, the female cop on the bridge um, on the scene after that, where they're the, all the rest of the police are there. The ambulances are there and Clark and, and Jimmy are there. Why was that police investigator just readily giving information to Clark Kent? Like he was a detective <laughs> because the police, you know, they, they like to give a lot of information to the press. No, they, they, they never hold back from the press at all. They just, there's always like, Oh, here you go. Here's all the information you need reporter. I've never really met before. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is definitely odd. I mean, the cops, they hold stuff back all the time. There's no way they're going to be like, oh, well, here's this, and here's this, and here's this. Yeah, yeah because that's exactly how it went. It was like it was like the opening scene of a Law & Order episode where, yeah. there, where one detective is talking to uh, a beat cop or somebody. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You know, but I really love how secure, you know, in quotes, those canisters were. Oh yeah, it's it's like someone just put some tin foil over the top, <laughs> like inside, a Tupperware in a refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, inside is some chemical that can do this to a human being if exposed to enough of it. So yeah, let's not put on some super secure lid. Let's put on a lid that just pops off the second someone hits a bomb. <laughs> like, come on. oh man, can you? Oh man, could you imagine if it was in like a, a flatbed truck or something on a highway? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, exactly. 
that, you know, the trucker, he'd, he'd get out, you know, he'd open up the door to unload his shipment, and he would just have, like, tens of thousands of gallons of this stuff all over him. And, and there'd be a huge trail of it behind yeah. him from, like, for miles as he's driven along the, the highways and the, yeah, there, and the city streets. Yeah, there'd be parasite raccoons and bums and hitchhikers all <laughs> And soccer moms taking their kids home from school. <laughs> I like the idea of a parasite soccer mom. That's awesome. <laughs> I will say Jimmy had a great line in that in that scene. It was like, was his name Barney? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the guy's like, kid, are you here to take pictures or make ha ha? <laughs> I was like, I'll take that as a no. <laughs> now, something that I think was kind of, um, I don't know how I want to word this. Something that was a little curious, we'll say. Okay. Mm-hmm. When. <laughs> When the parasite jumped Clark in his apartment, as I said earlier, Clark was still dressed as Clark, but we could see the crest underneath his shirt because he had unbuttoned it. Mm -hmm. But Rudy then captures him, brings him underground, chains him to the wall. I thought that was really interesting, keeping Superman underground where no one could really find him. That was really cool. But he took off Clark's clothes. Clark, Superman wasn't sitting there dressed as Clark, which is how... He was when Rudy jumped him. He was sitting mm-hmm. there as Superman. So Rudy undressed Clark? Why? I don't know. I, I didn't understand why Rudy would feel the need to take off Clark's pants. <laughs> I just didn't get that. I mean, it was just one of those weird little things where, I mean, I, you know, I can make a, a million jokes about it. But mm-hmm. it, it really is like, why wasn't he sitting there? You know, in his normal clothes. Why would someone... Okay, because here we go. Over in the Batman universe, no one can be bothered to take off the flippin' mask. But over in the Superman universe, the first time Superman's captured, they strip off his clothes. (laughs) (laughs) No to a mask, but okay to casual trousers. I mean, what's up with that? (laughs) I don't know. But there's... Again, there's... There's another another couple things I have to ask about this episode. Mm-hmm. Again, with the too many fucking bullets and a handgun. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, uh, the guy Martin, the guy that was the guy I, uh, I should have said earlier. Rudy's little uh, associate from the beginning of the episode yeah. was named uh, Martin. Had this gun with, and it, it, he shot I don't know about thirty five, yeah. forty bullets out of it. Um, I'm gonna say this right now: Hammer Space should be reserved for video games and anime only. <laughs> period. <laughs> Okay, no American, uh, no American media, period. <laughs> um, but while I'm on the subject of that guy Martin, and stop me if I'm thinking too much into this because I probably am. Uh, the guy's name, full name, was Martin LeBeau, and it was, I thought it was kind of funny, which is because Gambit's last name is LeBeau, right. and he always hangs around Rogue, whose powers are the same as Parasite. So I thought it was kind of maybe it was maybe it was kind of a a faint. Or uh, parallel or something. That's but, interesting. I th- wow, I'm at a loss for words. I I honestly thought maybe eh, I'm thinking way too much into this, but I thought I'd make a note of it just in case. Yeah, I mean it. It's most likely a coincidence, but that's a hell of a coincidence. Very cool, nice catch there. Um, now I think the last thing I want to bring up about this one is the whole. You know, nobody figuring out what's going on with Clark. I, oh, my God, Superman yes. disappears for – do they say how long he's missing? I think Perry White specifically says it's been a week. Okay, so there you go. Superman's gone at least a week, 
and Clark's gone for a week. Now, yes, I know the parasite has the ability to mimic someone's voice. I get that. But come on. Clark mysteriously disappears for a week. Okay, he's sick, sure, whatever. And Superman's gone. Someone put two and two together. I guess what I'll, the last thing I'll bring up with this episode is the animation and the voice acting were spot on the whole time. Uh, mm-hmm. I, the animation in particular was amazing, especially with, like we mentioned earlier, Rudy's transformation. Woo-hoo. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I forgot. One more thing I do want to bring up. Uh, Jimmy Olsen, Master Sleuth and Addressee of Morse Code. <laughs> uh, okay, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> Jimmy Olsen knows Morse Code. I did not know that. Yeah, he was a Boy Scout, you know? <laughs> I guess. I thought Superman was supposed to be the Boy Scout. I'm as strong as you are now. Almost. No, stronger. What's the matter, Kai? You're looking a little green at the gills. (laughs) I think you are jealous of me. Because now I'm the real man of steel. Next, we have The Way of All Flesh. In this one, uh, Corbin, shoot, I just blanked on his first name. Uh, John. John Corbin, okay. Yeah, John Corbin, who we saw in uh, parts two and three of uh, uh, The Last Son of Krypton, he's now in jail. And uh, he's he makes them he makes an escape with the help of a scientist, but along the way we find out that Corbin is suffering from some illness. We're not really sure what it is, um, and he goes to Luthor for help. He says, "Luthor, you gotta you gotta help me here." And Luthor presents him with a cure. That is to basically take Corbin's consciousness and to put it into a robot body. Um, and the, uh, the, the, the skeleton is made of a substance called, called metallo. It's basically, at least in the DCAU, the adamantium. That's pretty much mm-hmm. what it is. And not only is the skeleton made of metallo, but so is the skin. It may look like skin. It may have fleshy properties, uh, you know, in the way it, it feel, you know, in the way it is to the touch. But really, it's, it's nigh indestructible. So uh, Corbin ends up in this body, and uh, he's powered by a big chunk of kryptonite. So, of course, he's pissed off at Superman, and, you know, he wants revenge on him. And Luthor provides Metallo with the opportunity to, you know, rid both of their lives of this alien. So before we say anything else, I should note that uh, Jenny really hates Metallo. She loathes this character, and she really wanted to, when we got to this episode, she really wanted to just, like, run up to the mic and be like, fuck Metallo, and then run away. But, unfortunately, <laughs> we're recording this, uh, this at, right now, it's 11.50 uh, 11 p.m. Chicago time. Jenny's asleep right now, because, you know, she has to get up to go to work. So, you know, she couldn't do her little run-in, but I thought I would... 
sort of do it for her by explaining why she wanted to do it. So I hope that suffices. <laughs> okay. She just thinks it's a ridiculous character is what it boils down to. Me, I don't think so. I kind of dig Metallo. Mm-hmm. Do you like Metallo? I do. I just – the only problem is it must be hard as hell to write uh, stories for him because he should easily be able to take down Superman at any point. Yeah. But uh, overall, I think it presents a great challenge to Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so. earlier I had said I'm not crazy about Earthborn creatures beating up Superman. In the DCAU, Metallo is an exception because he's got the heart of kryptonite. Mm-hmm. So Parasite and Metallo are both exceptions to what I had said earlier. Yep. Um, I love this episode. Mm. I really do. Um, there are very few things I don't like about this episode. Um, the, I, there are some great one-liners in it, like, uh, who has access to surface-to-air missiles? These days, just about anyone. (laughs) Um, Corbin ripping his flesh off, even though, yeah, it's Metallo, quote-unquote, he's still ripping his skin off. (laughs) And, man, that's two straight episodes with just some awesome gruesome visuals you know what that vaguely reminds me of is the scene in the original terminator when the terminator takes out his eye mm-hmm. oh it's like i said it's it's different enough where i'm not claiming there's a parallel i'm just saying i see a parallel there just because it's it's a robot man mutilating himself oh yep <laughs> and even though they're you know robotic it's still creepy yeah because they're so human-like yes yeah um, and the thing is here, I don't have a ton of notes because it's – this is the really the first Superman episode where I like to just sit back and watch it, like I've said with several Batman episodes. But I just love to watch this episode every time I see it. Um, there – I like I, said, I have plenty of moments that I just love, uh, like this, the ripping of the flesh off, the, the one-liners, and another one is uh, – Corbin trying to force that virus down Luthor's throat. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty hardcore right there. He even attempts to rape Lois at one point. Yep. If you think about it, he's got her, and he's, like, really about to molest her. He kisses her. He's going to have his way with her. The only reason he stopped was because he realized he couldn't feel her. Mm-hmm. And the one thing he lived for as Corbin was the pleasure you know, eating, Sensation. eating rich foods, sex, women, just, you know, getting the adrenaline pumping, all that. And now it's all gone. He's the ultimate hedonist. Right. And had he still had, you know, those abilities, those senses, he totally would have raped Lois. I mean, they did not pull a punch with this guy. They So far in this series, they're not pulling punches. Mercy's killing people. Luthor's flat out saying he's going to kill Superman. Corbin's going to rape someone. The parasite is getting all mutated on screen. This, um, I dare say, is more mature than Batman ever was. Oh, yeah. At least in terms of little things oh, like this, right? The, you know, with Batman, there were the overall themes and there were, you know, the, you know, we got into the, the, the villains' heads a little more. But in, when it comes to more real life things, like in Batman, we had that drug episode. Mm-hmm. But really, were there any other episodes that were as mature as that? Uh, see no evil. Okay, sure, sure. But, here, like I said, we're we're getting straight up murder, rape. Oh God! 
See, that's and that's the thing. When, uh, when Corbin was ranting on Luthor's yacht, I really think he was trying to say he couldn't get a hard on. <laughs> In essence, maybe. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, God, I love this episode. I, I, I like this episode too, but I do have to call into question how Corbin got all that crap in jail. What do you mean? What? Okay, in the beginning of the episode, he's sitting in jail and he's surrounded by all those pleasures. You know, he's got whatever he could want is in that jail cell. He's being delivered didn't, tons of food, whatever he wants. He can have it. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Didn't they say that Luthor was providing him with that stuff because he didn't rat him out to the police? Exactly. But here's the problem. Corbin is a terrorist. He's straight up a terrorist. Mm-hmm. There's no way, one, that stuff would be allowed in jail, and two, right. that Corbin's quote-unquote good friend would risk exposing himself by sending him all those things. Luthor just couldn't risk it, even if it was through a third party. If There's no way Luthor would take a risk like that at all. So that really bothers me. Yes, they tried to explain it, but because, like, okay, look, if he was just, um, like, let's say he was just, like, one of Luthor's lackeys that was really loyal to Luthor, then I could understand it and I wouldn't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. But, again, he's a terrorist. He's called a terrorist. But he's got all this stuff. I just, again, I don't believe it could get in there, and I don't believe Luthor would risk it. Yeah, and... And that's the thing. That's the only way they could explain him getting that virus is because Luthor planted it in the food. No, they he was getting. No, they could have done it. In, they could have done it a million other ways. They still could have gotten his food. Maybe because he's a terrorist, he's in a cell block all by himself. You know, how sometimes they put certain criminals in like special wings. Solitary, right? Exactly. Maybe Corbin's in one of those wings. So he's so he's still bringing. He's still having food brought to him. And the food is still tainted. It, instead of being, you know, filet mignon, it's it's crappy oatmeal. Well, who was putting the, the stuff in the food, though? Was it the guard that was giving him the food? No, it was the scientist that helped him escape. Oh, okay. Because remember, uh, Lois and Clark, they end up going back to the jail, mm-hmm. and they're going through the uh, – I called him a scientist. Actually, he's a doctor. They're going through the doctor's workspace because, remember, he left – because he right. just came into a bunch of money, someone comments, and yeah, he hauled, hauled ass out of there. Right, Clark uses his X-ray vision to look at the look at the uh, the shark box, and in there you can see the uh, like the purplish uh, fluid. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he was the one that was uh, delivering it to him. He was injecting it into his food, or maybe in in shot form whenever Corvin had to visit the infirmary or whatever. But it was him. Yeah, one one gripe I have about this episode—it's kind of a minor one, but it's it's just weird. It when Soups is like he apprehends those guys in the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, why were they knocked out when he handed them over to the police? He didn't do anything to them. They were all like, uh, "Oh, like, they? seriously, <laughs> unconscious in the boat." <laughs> he didn't do anything to them. All he did was pick them up out of the water. Maybe, oh, maybe they were in awe of Superman's abs and they fainted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. What did you think of Corbin's voice? Loved him. Mm-hmm. It was uh, Malcolm McDowell, wasn't it? I, I think so. Yeah, uh, loved it. I, I thought he did a fantastic job. Uh, he, like I said before about Luthor, this is my Metallo forevermore. Mm-hmm. Whenever I see Metallo in a comic, I hear this voice. 
And all yep. Metallos have to live up to this right here. Because the thing about Metallo, at least in this episode, I'm not saying future episodes, is that I can sympathize with the guy. You know, if I was rolling in dough, I can tell you right now that I'd be a hedonist. I absolutely would be. I, I, If I had the money to do whatever I wanted, I would do whatever I wanted. I would eat whatever I wanted to eat. I would do whoever I wanted to do. No offense mm-hmm. to Jenny, who's sleeping. I, it's just, it's <laughs> just, I just know me, and that's the way I would be. So to, you know, have that, and then to have it all taken away, it's, that's got to burn someone up inside. So I can see, you know, where Metallo's coming from and why he wants to go after Luthor at the end, not so much Superman. Well, I can see where he's coming from, but I don't so much feel bad for him since, you know, he's a terrorist <laughs> and prob- probably a rapist, too. That is true. I should go back and uh, I should take back some of those words I said. <laughs> hmm. How much, ba- you know, how many negative emails am I going to receive over that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. Two-Face and Mr. Freeze, he is not. But, yeah, kind of. Kind of can see where you might. On on some level, feel sorry for him, but overall, no, I can't. I can't express any sympathy for the guy. I believe I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> so now, you said that you don't have any more notes about this one. So you don't mind if I kind of go on a little? No, go ahead. Okay. Something I found really funny was that that scene where Metallo attempts to get Superman's attention, and he does so by jumping on the L platform. And just stopping a train that's going like 20 miles an hour, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what's, what I find so funny about it is the second he jumps on the tracks, some of the uh, dialogue that you just kind of overhear in the background is, he's on the tracks, and get off of there, you jerk! <laughs> <laughs> Here's a guy that, for all these people know, is about to commit suicide. They don't know that he's some super-powered robot man. And they decide, you know what? You're a jerk. (laughs) It's just an awesome, random bit of dialogue. I love it so much. (laughs) That's fantastic. I did not catch that at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Those damn suicidal crazies. They're jerks. Um, now, something I wonder about Metallo, not the character, but the substance. Does it have lead-like properties? Because if it doesn't, how is it that Superman doesn't realize that there's this huge chunk of kryptonite in Metallo's chest? I guess it has to. It absolutely has to. Um, but I don't know. You know, can someone explain that to me? Maybe they're a little more familiar with the character... Um, and the substance, uh, from the DC comics. Um, so someone definitely write in and let us know if it can block the effects of Kryptonite and Superman. Cause I did think that was a little weird. Um, so what did you have to say about the ending of this one? Well, I think all these episodes have, that we've reviewed so far, have had at least one good thing in common. They've all had very cool, very suspenseful, very open-ended endings. And this one was no exception with Metallo walking on the ocean floor in silhouette. And it was just really cool Mm -hmm. because, you know, he's going to be back. Yeah, that was 
that was a really cool cliffhanger ending because the the episode ends definitively, but mm-hmm. then it has that kind of but wait, but watch well, your ass. Yeah, that that's really cool because I mean. So not only is Metallo pissed off at Superman, not only is he pissed off at Luthor, now he's going to be driven maybe a little mad by having to walk the the ocean floor until he can eventually find land. Mm-hmm. And once he reaches surface, who's he going to go after? Is he going to go after Luthor? Is he going to go after Superman? Is he going to attack the first person he sees? What's he going to do? You don't know. And I like that kind of ending because it sets up any number of storylines. Exactly, exactly. It sets up so many things for the villain to do. Most impressive. Your powers even exceed Luthor's description. Brainiac, I presume. I apologize for any discomfort, but it was important that I accurately gauge your powers. Why? Morbid curiosity? Curiosity, yes. Morbid, hardly. You see, we have more in common than you can possibly know, Kal-El. How do you know my name? Have you been to Krypton? I am Krypton. And our last episode today is Stolen Memories. In this episode, Lex Luthor has made contact with Brainiac, who has made his way to Earth. And Luthor has made a deal with Brainiac. He's basically going to help Brainiac gather all the information he could ever want about Earth, and in return, Brainiac will supposedly share his vast knowledge of the cosmos and his technology through LexCorp, which, of course, will garner Luthor untold billions of dollars. However, as we all know, Brainiac's true mission is to gather all information from Earth and destroy it, as he has countless other planets. Um, so, yeah, what do you think about this episode? I like this one. I the reason is is because it sets up the Luthor Brainiac relationship. Yeah. I mean this is where it's forged. And when you look at it in the grand scheme of the universe, uh, I like how it begins here. I really do. Um I'm having trouble articulating why, but I do nonetheless. Do you, what do you think about that? Well, I this I think this episode could have been a lot better than it was mm-hmm. because I have several problems with it. But in that vein, though, I kind of parallel it to uh, Count Vertigo uh, in that it's it's a truly truly important episode. Uh, so I have to give I have to kind of let some of those things slide as we did with that episode. Um, but I think one of the big things I I have a problem with is. The way Superman just out of nowhere has a vision of Krypton exploding and Brainiac being the one who caused it. It was it was just completely out of nowhere with no explanation as to why he had the dream. Um, no, it is explained. What do you think? It is explained. Why he had the dream? Yeah, because remember earlier he touched the orb? Yeah, he touched the orb. But... Right, and I believe he tells – Does he t- who's he talk to? Hamilton? Luthor? He's talking to Brainiac while he touches it. No, but, okay, he touches the orb, and then afterwards he has the dream, right? Yeah. It, he, he says to someone that it took a couple of hours for his, basically, his brain to process everything that was dropped into his head. Was it, it wasn't Luthor, He says was it? it to someone, but it is said. 
because it was one of those things where upon first viewing, I was like, wait, what? I was right there with you. But I watched this one a second time and I, 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 maybe it wasn't said and maybe I just picked it up, but I'm 99% sure he says to someone that it took a while for the full effects, for the full visions to be realized in his mind. And that's why, you know, it came in dream form because he was relaxed. You know, he was open to, to see whatever the orb was going to show him all those hours later. And that's what happened there. Okay. Well, I guess I'm going to have to go back and watch it. I'm just, I was just positive that it was never explained. It was just kind of like a deus ex machina. No, I'm pretty sure it is. <clears throat> okay. Well, um... Did you notice the Batmobile? Yeah, the uh, the uh, van. That was like, it was like the top of the Batmobile with the van below it. <laughs> yeah, when when I when I was watching the episode, I'm like, that's the Batmobile, isn't it? And I'm like, no, it's not. And then I watched <laughs> the episode with the commentary, and they're like, they were chuckling because it was the Batmobile, and I was like, son of a bitch, I, I recognize the Batmobile. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, Corey Burton will forever be Brainiac for me, mm-hmm. much like Metal, you know. Malcolm McDowell is Metallo, and Clancy Brown is Luthor, and Kevin Conroy is Batman. Uh, yeah, he, man, just perfect for Brainiac. Um, I don't know much what, what else more to say about that, except that he rules. <laughs> <laughs> um, he brings that perfect, lifeless, computer... Soulless killing voice. machine, basically. Right. I mean, but it's not your typical, just kind of flat computer voice... It's as you said. It's soulless. You can feel that there's evil intent in there. Beyond the my problem with the with him just having the dream uh, is why is Superman just kind of not so nonchalantly walking around chatting with Luthor inside uh, inside his little mountain base thing there? Because and the reason I, th- I have a problem with this is because we already know that this show has already clearly established a continuity. Uh, it, Superman already knows that Luthor has tried to kill him at least three times, and I just don't buy him waltzing around with Luthor, readily agreeing to meet an alien, and then just, you know, just kind of schmoozing with him, in all honesty. Uh, it just kind of bothered me, because especially in uh, the two episodes ago, and was it two episodes ago, or was it, uh, it, was, it was in a, uh, I'm sorry, it was in a piece of, a little piece of home. He's, they have, like, a really intense moment where they're, where you know, Superman just wants to punch his head off of his neck, and it's just like, okay, well, three episodes later, here he is just kind of, you know, walking and talking with him. Okay, it's right before Superman goes the second time to the ship to confront Brainiac about Krypton and everything else. Is, is it when Superman tells Luthor that he's reluctant? Like you, yeah, you shouldn't do this. You know, he stops him from shutting the door. He's like, I wouldn't, and then Luthor's like, I'm listening. You can just chalk that up to, at this point, Superman knows Brainiac isn't a good guy, so to speak. That he is here to wreak some havoc. So then you have to figure that this is a world threat. And you have to put some hatred aside for to, to combat something like that. And he might need Luthor's help to do that. You know, I mean, fact of the matter is... Luthor is really the only one who can stop it at this point. Superman figures that if Luthor stops, you know, this this transfer of uh, data, maybe that will stop Brainiac. So mm-hmm. why not, you know, try to uh, uh, talk the situation down and not, you know, punch your way through it. You see what I'm saying here? Yeah. 
What did you think about the animation in this episode? Because with for me, it's a tale of two cities. Some of it is pretty good, and a lot of it is just god awful. Um, I really didn't notice that. What scenes were you thinking? Were you were you thinking were bad? Um, the God, I, I should have. I can't believe I didn't write any examples about this. I know an uh, part where I I liked the animation was the orb, the scene with the, all the orbs around it. Yeah. And uh, anytime and, he and, touches an orb, the way he kind of gets yeah. that soft white light around him, that's really cool. Um, yeah. The scene where he's watching that one planet die and the camera just pans around him, mm-hmm. that is beautiful. Yeah. To yeah, pull that, that off in animation, I have no idea how they did that. Um. <laughs> I'm trying to think so hard of which where I where I had a problem with it because I know I did or I wouldn't have made this note. Could it have been the scene when he was fighting the Brainiacs robots? I mean, I, that was probably one of them. I mean, that that was. In fact, I'm, I know you're right. It is because uh, the thing I noticed in that scene was when uh, he shoots his laser vision. There's already a hole cut all the way through the robot mm. before he even saws it in half. Yeah. Okay. So that was one of them, but there was another. There was another one. I just can't remember off the top of my head. Okay. And it's driving me insane. Now, I could be wrong here, but I think the uh, producers of this episode were trying to pay homage to the old Max Fleischer Superman cartoons. Because there's a scene where Superman, uh, he punches some of Brainiac's lasers. And if Mm -hmm. you watch those old Fleischer Superman cartoons, Superman does that. Oh, yeah. All the time. There's a shoot... Uh, what is the name of the episode? It's the very first one, Superman and the Mad Scientist or something like that. This guy, he's got this giant death ray, and Superman just starts punching the laser beam to get it out of his way. And then he makes his way up to the giant cannon, and of course he stops the, the Mad Scientist. And I was as I was watching this, I was like, this has to be an homage, because otherwise why would Superman punch a laser? You know, yeah. you'd assume he just put his hand up and block it. Or find or use his big big chest, right? Oh. Something, right? <laughs> but for him to actually punch a laser, mm, they were going for something there, and I like that because I love those old Fleischer cartoons. I I adore them so much. I'm sure I've mentioned it on this show before. Mm-hmm. So it, I used to watch them with my aunt when I was a little kid. Yeah, oh, those are awesome. Um, my biggest gripe with this one though is I don't think Lex Luthor would have made such a critical error. I mean, he just freely lets this alien have access to his computer network? Really? Luthor would do that? Apparently he thinks those missiles are just the the (laughs) (laughs) cure-all. I mean... (sighs) Yeah, just... I mean, doesn't he make a comment that he thinks the firewalls will save them or something? I could swear there's some comment that Luthor makes about, oh, we could shut him down at any minute, blah, 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 blah. But still, that's a huge mistake. We're not just going to let him into some little subsystem. We're going to let him have everything. I don't know, the, the defense systems of every country on the planet yeah. or, or every every state in the Union, whatever he says, mm-hmm. just a ridiculous amount of defense systems he would have access to. and We'd be sitting ducks. <laughs> then why did you let him do it? <laughs> Oy. Yeah. Um. But you know, with the way that uh, computers explode throughout the DCAU, I'm surprised that with the explosion of Brainiac's ship, which is nothing but computer equipment, didn't cause like a nuclear reaction. 
were they shooting nuclear missiles at it, or were they just like... No, 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 no. I'm just saying with, you know, how... You know what we always joke about how computers explode? Right, yeah. Well, Brainiac's ship is nothing but computers, so I'm surprised oh. that just that explosion didn't cause just a gargantuan atomic blast. I'm sorry, I didn't <laughs> see what you were going for. You're right. <laughs> but my, my question remains, were those nuclear missiles, or were they just normal missiles? No, I think those were just surf, normal surface-to-air missiles. Oh, because I could have sworn at one point someone made a comment... I, I, oh, I could have sworn Luthor, one of his little lackeys at one of the control panels, said something about not explicitly saying they were nuclear, but kind of hinting. I don't remember that. Someone write in and let me know. Hmm. I don't know. And I have I have something written down here, and I have no idea what it's referring to. So, James, maybe you'll know, or maybe one of our okay. listeners will. I wrote set up, meaning it's setting something up for the future, and then in quotes... Strange pit of alien code. Oh, strange bit of alien code. Oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's okay. Now, I didn't understand why I wrote pit, but I get it because that's what happens. That's how Brainiac comes back later, right? It's, there's a still a little bit of him in Luthor's system, right? Right. Okay. Okay. Good. Whoa. I, f- I feel so much better <laughs> now that I could I actually figure it out. What I wrote down here, because apparently <laughs> that was actually one of my uh, positive notes here. I was like, I liked how they subtly showed us that Brainiac wasn't quote unquote dead, right? And he let the Kryptonian language left on the monitors mm-hmm. uh, shows us that he was never ever sending any information to Luthor. He was just sending a copy of his programming, wow. which is going to come into play. Oh, I don't know, about three dozen more times in the DCAU. Well, and of course, in this one, we get the first appearance of the Fortress of Solitude. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not quite the fortress yet, but we're seeing it formed here. There's, what, a polar bear there and the orb. <laughs> yep. So <laughs> Humble beginnings. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I like that. I mean, because over in Batman, again, we said this before, we never got, you know, the Batman origin episode. We never saw him. I mean, sure, in Mask of the Phantasm, we see him kind of exploring the cave, but we never see it getting built piece by piece, if you know what I mean. Right. Here we do. This is the beginning of Superman's career. So I like this. Oh, I'm just going to put this here, and I'll be back. <laughs> Keep an eye on it for me, will you? Yeah. <laughs> now, there's there's one thing I want to bring up here, okay? Mm-hmm. So far, if you count uh, uh, The Last Son of Krypton as one long episode and not three episodes, okay? We've spoken about six episodes of Superman the Animated Series. In five of those six episodes, Superman has fought a robot. If you think about it, the he fought Ed 209 in The Last mm-hmm. Son of Krypton. He fought the duck in Fun and Games, the dinosaur in A Little Piece of Home, Metallo in The Way of uh, the Flesh, or whatever it's called, and now Brainiac in this episode. Mm-hmm. In five of six episodes, they've got him fighting robots. I have no problem with Superman fighting robots. I love robots as much as the next guy, but I think they maybe should have been spread out a little more. And, you know, you just don't start piling the robots on right at the beginning. I don't know. Did you notice that, James? I didn't, but, you know, that's pretty funny. Yeah, but this is something we should keep our eye on just to see. Now, if, you know, if the robots start disappearing, then we can forget about this. But if, mm-hmm. if we're seeing robots, like, back to back to back, we should really keep track of oh, yeah. what we're seeing. I'm all for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, should we do our scores? Yeah, let's do our scores. Okay, let me flip back to... Okay, where am I? Okay, fun and games. What did you give this one? 
I gave that one a seven. I am right there with you when it comes to a seven. A little piece of home. What did you give this? I gave that one a seven also. A seven. I gave that one a six. Yeah, I could see I could definitely see why you give it a six. I was I was kind of debating on whether I wanted to give it a six, a six point five, or a seven. I just went with a seven. Because it is pretty important. Mm-hmm. Though I will admit it almost got a ten because, you know, it tells us the Teen Titans are in continuity. So that was almost That's true. a ten. That's very true. <laughs> Remember this when we do our Superman slash Gotham Knights retrospective. <laughs> Feeding time. Feeding time. Gave that one uh, a seven also. I did too. Uh-oh. It's looking like a lot of our episodes are going to be seven-ish-ish in that area. Uh, the way of the, the... Is it the way of the flesh or the way of all flesh? Way of... Way of all okay, flesh. The way of all flesh. What'd you give this? I gave that one an eight point five. Eight point five. I gave I gave this one a seven. Uh, this may be one I do re-examine down the line though. Um, and stolen memories. Well, at first I gave it a six, but because you shot down so many of my theories, I'm gonna bump it up to a seven. Okay, <laughs> I give it a seven again. Gee. <laughs> Okay. Well, you know, we can look at this as a good thing. We're getting a lot of very solid episodes here. Actually, I'm glad you came. I have a deal to offer you. I'm listening. As long as I have the rock, you can't stop me. But it is bothersome to have you always trying. So, the deal is this. You leave me and my operations alone, and I and my little green rock will leave you alone. I don't make deals with criminals. I control everything in this town, Superman. Your cooperation is not really necessary. The offer was merely a courtesy. You will never control me, Luthor. Never! Well then, I guess I'll have to kill you. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss four more episodes from Superman the Animated Series. Those being The Main Man, My Girl, Tools of the Trade, and Two's a Crowd. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. World's Finest Podcast.